Welcome to episode 162 of A Pint with Shawnee B. We're doing something different this week, next time, and the time after, because we are plummeting towards the US general election. Those of you who know me know I have been on a one-man band campaign to maybe make Americans wake up and realise the charlatan they have in charge of their country at the moment, their shithole country, as I like to call it, playing on an early Trump presidency comment that people in America should go back to their shithole countries and leave them in peace, when in fact perhaps one of the biggest shithole countries in the world is the United States of America. Huge inequality, one in three people living near or below the poverty line, healthcare, guns, murders, racism, etc. And all headed by the lovely Donald Trump. So we are doing a series of three podcasts leading up to the election. Uh, We are five hours after the debacle that was the first presidential debate last night. I'm here joined as ever by the Don. Hello. The Don is a staunch feminist and someone who has been very active in the Irish campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment on abortion. So we're going to get into talks about that. But before we go, those of you who are regular listeners will know that on the last episode, we both had a bottle of Prosecco to celebrate the fact that we were going off the booze for a month and a half. Has that worked out, Don? And I'm not saying, I I, I wouldn't necessarily say we were celebrating. (laughs) We were mourning our drinking days. Well, celebrating with a bottle of Prosecco, which nearly took my eye out and exploded live on air. But did you die, though? I didn't. And how have you found it? Uh, hell on earth. Really? <laughs> no, no. It it hasn't been horrific. Uh, it's been, like, fairly shit, to be honest. The last episode uh, was episode 161, which featured an interview with Craig Smith. And that episode, Don, would you believe, is the f- 16th most listened to podcast of a pint which only be in the five-year history of the podcast, which is... A lot of episodes. I would believe, not just because you told me, but <laughs> also because, you know, addiction. Yeah, I mentioned on the podcast that as soon as you sort of uh, put, as soon as any of the podcasts I've done in the past that have dealt with, talked about addiction, mainly alcohol addiction, some drug addiction, I've had a few guests on, Bruce Matcha, Gordon McLean, and a few others. They are the ones that get listened to. People clearly are online looking for information. They're looking for support, advice, and this one, this last episode seems to have hit a nerve. So if any of you are listening and you know of somebody maybe who's struggling with any addiction, gambling, alcohol, drugs, eating disorders, it might be a good idea to put them onto it. As I said, it sort of astounded me a little bit at the the response it received. So well done. And the drinking is going okay. Don... for those listening, I was, I'm surprised that she managed to uh, embrace the challenge with such gusto and vigour, although I suspect that's part of what you do when you set your mind to something. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I embraced, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm very all or nothing. I don't like that. I, don't, I think nuance is always helpful, but like, it is a, a feature of my personality that I'm extremely all or nothing. It can be great. It can be the perfectionist. It can be when I go for something, I absolutely go for it. But if I'm not absolutely 100% committed to something, I just don't do it at all. And I can become obsessive for me, mm. which is, I mean, obsessively not drinking for a couple of weeks, is, is it, that's not harmful. You're a reverse alcoholic at the moment. <laughs> Am I rever- Well, <laughs> there was one morning I wasn't in great form and I was going to get a bit of work done. I just thought, okay, I'm just going to watch something, something crap on Netflix for half an hour, just brain babysitter. So I get my thoughts together and just get a bit more settled. And somebody poured a glass of um, the massive big bucket glasses. And mm-hmm. it's with a really thin glass. I have a thing for wine glasses with a thin glass because the ones with the thick glass. Stem, you mean? No, 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 no. The actual oh. glass oh, yeah. part. Um, I don't like when they're thick because it feels like you're drinking out of a mug. <laughs> so it was just like a really pretty glass and it was huge and it was white wine and it was like condensation on, on the side of it. And I swear to God, I've never felt so much fucking hatred for anybody in my life. Well, this is Wednesday and we probably have one week left and then you'll be able to have a big globed glass of wine. We were watching something on, I think, last Saturday or Friday night. uh, We were up late watching and we were about to tootle off to bed. 
And just as we were about to go, I said, let's just turn on the television and see what's happening in shithole country, which is something that we've been doing during lockdown. Actually, one of the things about lockdown, we've, we, which may help some people listening, is we've sort of treated the whole thing as a bit of a box set in itself. Yeah. So every uh, day, nearly, we patch up with... Don doesn't live with me. She has two children, uh, Union and Dawn, <laughs> as they're known on the podcast. And so we kind of patch in at about 8 o'clock, and we just understand that most of the COVID, most of the mayhem, most of the stuff that's going on all over the world, Armenia and Azerbaijan that's recently just kicked off, is out of our control. And the best thing maybe to do is to sit back, put on the popcorn and just treat it like the greatest soap opera ever made. And it has proved quite a good way of looking at things, right? Yeah. I, I know I've mentioned before, I think on the podcast, that like I had this thing as a kid where if you're off school sick and you're kind of, it's a pissing wet day and you can, like my house used to be, everyone had to pass it by to get to the bus stop. And you just sit at the window and look out and it's absolutely lashing rain and people are getting drenched and you're all cosy in the house. And, and I used to just get all warm and tingly inside. That's what it's kind of like watching world news at the now moment. you're at the window and you're all covid in the <laughs> But it's not, it's not even a Schadenfreude thing. It's not that you're taking pleasure in it, but there is a certain amount of, okay, we're bundled up safe in here and, you know, bad and all those things might be, there, there is a certain comfort you take. And I think it depends on people because I know a lot of people have felt it's been best, to, they need to switch off the news, it's, it's causing them mm-hmm. distress. And I don't necessarily think that approach is wrong. I think it depends on your personality. But for me, and I think... Uh, a huge amount of people, it's kind of like being told, don't worry about it. Well, thanks very much. I'll turn off my anxiety now. Whereas I'm somebody where in, or- in order for me to be able to relax, I need all the facts. When I feel like I'm hiding from something, it's it weighs on me. So for me to stay watching, even within Ireland, watching the figures for COVID, watching what's going on in America, watching watching all of the shit show that is the world at the moment, it can be quite distressing. And it can kind of feel like, was the world always like this? What's happened? It wasn't like this five years ago, ten years ago. But I, I tend to think that that's, that hangs over me otherwise. Whereas if I watch it, I can compartmentalize it. And because I'm watching it with you and I'm either here or I'm in my other abode and we're kind of linked in on Zoom or yapping away. So I've got a buddy. And so yeah, it is kind of 2020 is our soap opera. Mm. And we kind of watch things sometimes with our jaws on the floor and just go, Shit. <laughs> so we'll come to this week's twist in the soap opera, but last week's twist on on that Friday night, as I said, we decided just before we went to bed that we would switch on the television. It's probably about one in the morning or two in the morning on Saturday, and there was the hard-working Wolf Blitzer with breaking news, which knocked you sideways. Yes. The notorious RBG passed away. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the legendary Supreme Court Justice in the US, finally died. Yeah, so an awful lot of people in mourning. It was, uh, I mean, to be so close to the election. Mm. And, I mean, her dragging herself from her cancer bed to do her job. Anybody that's ever had any interest in Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, you know, watched there's a great documentary on Netflix about her. Anybody who's been kind of following will know how kind of just invincible she was. Like this tiny person who was quite elderly, who had everything knock her and she just was not sitting down. And most women in the world, even like including Irish women, so it doesn't directly affect us, have been watching going every time something happens to her or she's in hospital, everyone goes, ah. <laughs> So explain to the listeners why, and especially in your capacity as a pro-choice activist, why this is important, what happened. Well, we've got Roe versus Wade in America, abortion rights, basically. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, having been a Supreme Court justice, would have been pro-choice. Not just on the abortion issue, she did quite a lot for for women's rights in general. But the issue is that now we've got an unfavourable balance in the Supreme Court. At any time, Roe versus Wade can be challenged all it takes is for somebody to bring a court case and for it to make its way to the Supreme Court, which they haven't hugely bothered with in the past couple of years. But we've all been watching, kind of saying, if the balance is tipped, we've got a problem. If you looked at if you look at Brett Kavanaugh getting the nomination last year and, and Brett Kavanaugh, somebody who's a rapist, deciding whether women well alleged, yeah. Mm, deciding whether 
women will be able to have control over their bodies. So like we start with that and then we have Aunt Lydia replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So it's it's so terrifying. Amy Coney Barrett who the Republicans are trying to press gang quickly into replacing much the chagrin of the Democratic Party, they're trying to rush a replacement in before the general election next on the, in November. So to, to talk about Amy Coney Barrett, and I, I think most people, it's been all over the news, I'm sure most people know the long and the short of it, but I mean, she's 48, she's seven children, she's deeply religious. And when I say deeply religious, she is a member of People vers- People of Praise. I don't know why I always say People vs. Praise. People Before Praise. <laughs> People before praise. I think Richard it's. I think it's Boyd because Barrett and Amy Coney. <laughs> no, I think it's because I think uh, Supreme Court. <laughs> just, it's people. Are, no, it's people of praise, which is a charismatic Christian parachurch. Now she is. She was brought up Catholic, and she's of the Catholic tradition. And of this group, people of praise, it's ninety percent Catholic, but it's actually multi-denominational. Mm. Members have to swear a lifelong oath of loyalty, which is called a covenant, which isn't creepy at all. Each person has to be accountable to a person and that person will either be a head for men men will have a head or a handmaid I think they've changed the title of handmaid for obvious reasons in recent years to woman leader <laughs> but it was it was actually handmaid and the, it's it was a, the handmaid's tale well it was a, it was a, it was a massive uh, inspiration it was an inspiration to Margaret Atwood's no, handmaid's really? tale yes and so basically the beliefs would be that the husbands are the head of their wives and have authority over the family and that's, you know, you can get into some of the creepier shit, but that's kind of, it's very extreme. They're not claimed by the Catholic Church even. So when you're a bit much for the Catholic Church, you, yeah. <laughs> that kind of tells you all you need to know. But the issue being that, can you separate church and say, can you, can you leave your personal religion aside for the law? Because it, like a Supreme Court justice, their job is to defend the Constitution. It's not to do what they think is fair or what their opinion is. It's to defend the Constitution. So she would be an originalist meaning that she believes that you should interpret the Constitution as it was intended in the understanding when it was written. Ruth Bader Ginsburg wouldn't have been so much that way. But also, she lectured in law and she told her students in a graduation speech, this quote, that if you can keep in mind that your fundamental purpose in life is not to be lawyers, but to know, love and serve God, you truly will be a different kind of lawyer. So I'm absolutely filled with faith and hope that she's going to leave her religion aside. No. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it just, America just cannot seem to secularize itself properly. Given the fact that it's a melting pot. Yeah. And I mean, people in glass houses can't throw stones, but like, we're, I'm, I'm working very hard to smash up this glass house. So. Mm. Well, I mean, I think Ireland is making, I was reading this week that there's only something like five new priests being ordained this year, and no one's interested. Everyone's realizing the hypocrisy and the the sheer neck of, of Catholicism and the, the grip it's had in this country and but, the way it's brought up our people. Like, look, nobody, nobody had any time for it, really. I mean, like, the, the country yeah, is overrun. Fed. It still is in schools. Yeah, but the, the country at the moment, it's overrun by bouncy castle Catholics. Bouncy castle Catholics are, are like, for communion. Communion, because we've got religion in our schools, um, the sacraments are in the schools. And so in second class, which would be eight-year-olds, uh, that's when they make their communion. And basically the entire school year is completely overshadowed by preparing for the sacraments. But so for years in Ireland, like it's mainly the little girls, but you've got the big white dresses. They're like mini brides of Christ. It's creepy. And it's a big day. It's a, it's, it's a milestone. Lots of cultures have different milestones. It happens in May. They go to the church. Everybody gets their hair done. The whole family comes. They'll go to a hotel. They'll have a do in the house. There'll be drinks. It's a massive party. They'll be bouncing castles. So the date in most schools, if your child's in second class, it's going to be in May. And when you when, when you go back to school in September, everybody, the first question is, have they got the dates for the communion yet? Have the dates been released for the communion yet? And like, so I, I remember being on the WhatsApp groups and within minutes of the date being released, everyone's on the WhatsApp, the date is out, the date is out, so that they can, in a panic, ring and book the bouncing castle, ring and book the hairdresser, ring and book all of those things, ring and book to get their cake or else they'll be gone for that day. So that is literally what most of Catholicism in Ireland is about. And if religion was taken out of schools, people might actually have to practice religion in order to have the big day. <laughs> and what's interesting this year with pandemic is that there, there, were, there weren't any communions and then the dates were reset for different times in September and some schools went ahead with those dates but a lot of schools in Dublin because we have a different level of lockdown have been cancelled again so the kids have all grown out of their little suits and their little communion dresses and it's cocking up their big day so you actually have to go for the sacrament this might be the thing that 
finally shoves the sacraments out of schools. And I think that'd be the final nail in the coffin. I think, so in Ireland, we're, we're, they take young, pliable minds from very early and they force God into people in a way that don't ask questions. And any people who ask questions about it tend to get uh, poo-pooed. And as you said, Bancy Castle Catholics is, is, is a true thing. But what's mo- most disturbing to me is, and even coming back from many years away looking at it, is all of these people who, you know deep down they probably don't believe in God. They go along with it for societal purpose, but mainly to sort of justify their own greed and their own self-interest that God has a plan for everybody. If someone is poor, that's just the way it is. If COVID arrives, that's just the way it is. If climate change is coming, it's God's way. And it is extremely debilitating on action and getting change that, that helps other human beings. It's actually anti-Jesus, if you, if you know what I mean. We talked last podcast about opening the churches up to homeless people and stuff like that. None of that will happen because it's all a sham. It's all this kind of simulacrum of, I don't know, an ability to just pretend that there is something bigger out there. A puppet master running the world and running me and looking at what I'm doing. And we have to get away from that. It's so... Neand- it's, it's Stone Age thinking in, in, a, in a modern world, you know. It really disturbs me for that reason and in serious, in serious Yeah, way. I mean, look, people, I've said it before, people need a babysitter. The idea of a higher power or God in some form. At present, if you're to look at people age 30 to 40 across the spectrum in terms of class and socioeconomic background, the most common thing, there's some people who still believe in God, an awful lot of people who don't. And then a huge sector of people who go, I don't know, I believe there's something there. Like, I'd like to think I'll meet my parents when I die. But like, I don't know, there's some sort of higher power, some sort of thing and kind of spiritual. Basically, that means I don't want to let go of the idea of the babysitter because it's very upsetting, which I understand. And I don't want to take away people's comfort. And that's fine in a private sphere. But when that comes into governing, not only do your own personal religious beliefs of what you think is okay, not only does that infringe on other people, but there is this inaction of, that comfort drives inaction. Comfort is dangerous when we're counting on people to like see that the house is burning down and I don't really want you to let's all say a prayer. And to be fair, it's not just Catholicism. It's no. probably all organised religion. We need as a species to move on and we can't move on without a new, you know, a new framework uh, because the one thing religions do give rightly or wrongly and uh, misguidedly in many cases is a framework by which to live which humans seem to need and not that if you know the the, the bullshit that oh, if there's no religion there'll be anarchy and people will be killed and that's not true people do that anyway but we need to have some sort of grander vision for what we want to become as a species and if there is a god he or she will approve of that i mean you know mm. it's about it's about basically saying there has been no evidence whatsoever. I mean, the evidence that we have is Jesus rose from the dead. A 2,000-year-old story that was first written down 300 years after his death, which would be the equivalent of us writing, worshipping suddenly, I don't know, Oliver Cromwell now and saying he was he rose from the dead and he was a great guy. He didn't kill any, you know, making a church around someone that long yeah, ago. I mean- I was reading as well this week that uh, in the Netherlands, they are looking at reversing the burqa ban because of COVID, which is kind of intriguing. And one of the interesting things they did say was most of these countries, I think France are doing it as well, they're, they're removing the, they're putting in a place, a burqa obviously is a face covering for Muslim women. They're putting it in place because they feel as a nation that it is derogatory and demeaning to women to have to cover their faces. And you hear Muslim women go, no, no, this is part of our tradition, blah, blah, there's the, there's the tension. Well, you have this inf- infallible dictatorship, which is inherent in most religions. So, you know, if there was a, de- demo- a democratic, and some might say laissez-faire, some say people like Catholicism, and particularly Anglican tend to do that, they pick and choose what they want from their religion. But if you had a vote that said, you know, amongst women who are Muslims and are able to vote, on things like cutting off people's arms or uh, wearing burqas or letting women drive cars or letting women vote. It'd be very interesting to see what the actual results would be. But instead, there's this, they're dictatorships. Religion are the ultimate dictator. Even the Pope. Mm. Pope's infallible. What he says goes. And now the Pope's getting a little bit kind of, hey, man, it's cool. I like the fact that you're gay. And that's great. But like you can see the populism. It's like if you're going to run a religion, 
run a religion and every adherent needs to abide by the rules of the religion in order to be an adherent to that religion. So no drinking too much Catholics, no condoms, lads, no abortion, no sex outside marriage, no masturbation, no homosexuality. Live it and see how you get on. But don't start waving your little sticks about the church and all this when someone like us comes at you going, A, you're not a proper Catholic because you're not... Fought. Like, believe that in the Mass, hmm. the body and blood of Christ is really his body and yeah, blood. Yeah, a lot right? of people don't understand transubstantiation. Yeah. Anytime I actually have this conversation with people, they go, oh no, it's meant to represent it. And I go, no, no, no. Symbolic. No, it's, no, not, it's symbolic. not symbolic. It's real. Yeah. That's called Protestantism. Yeah. Like, with Catholics, we believe in... I say we. I still say we. I'm not a Catholic. But in, within Catholicism, that's kind of a very basic point, transubstantiation. It's not symbolic. It means that it literally magics into... And most Irish Catholics would go, ah, no, it's meant to be symbolic. No. So if you're an a la carte Catholic, that's absolutely fine. But when you're ramming your religion down other people's throats and you think, well, why should why should we have to put up with atheism? Yeah, so religious <laughs> secularists, which are basically every Catholic in Ireland, give or take, are basically ignorant of their dogma. Mm. They don't understand. They haven't read. They just pretend to be a Catholic. Yeah. And then they go, well, I think I have my own relationship with God and it's none of your business and I go to Mass every day and I'm going, you know... You know yeah, what? If I was God, if I was God, the first people against the wall would be the people who pretend to be Catholic and pretend to follow me, or follow me basically on their own terms when I have clearly set down the terms. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I also think that there's. Religion. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, but I also think bringing it back to, to kind of segue back in, there's this false dichotomy between atheism and religion. So when you have this discussion, like in an Irish sense and around the world. What you see is that frequently Christians, for example, will try to make out that atheism is a religion. Why should your lack of God, why should your secular beliefs trump my belief in a Christian God? And the point is, it's not the same thing. Bringing that back to Supreme Court, if the state is run on an understanding that there's no God. Now, you don't have to say there's no God, but because not everybody agrees that there is a God. If you privately believe in a God and you can live your life how you want to live it and you, you can worship all you like, the, the lack of belief in something is is not the equivalent of a belief in something else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like for, for a lot of Christians, it goes, well, no, that's just your dogma. Well, no, it's not. We don't all accept that there is a God, so you can privately accept that, but we're working off the basis of what we all agree to be true, which is that there are laws, which is that we shouldn't murder, which is this, which is that. You can have your extra beliefs, but my lack of belief is not the same as your belief, and there shouldn't be a balance in that. Unless everybody agrees to accept a god, then that shouldn't come into the governing. We put a link to the uh, Temple of Satan. Uh, they have uh, made an effort of coming up with 10 laws to live by, which I think are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, this all circles back to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as we started the podcast with. And that means abortion is back in play in America. And that means the Don people in Ireland and across the developed world who have fought hard and long to give women the right to choose what to do with their own bodies um, are a bit worried because usually what happens in America tends to cancerously permeate itself around the world right so Ruth Bader Ginsburg rest in peace she was a a little sparrow but a a, a strong a strong one and somebody who will be missed and as I said in a post the lights are starting to go out in America before we get on to what happened earlier this morning in the debate the other thing that broke was Donald Trump paying $750 in federal income tax over the past two, uh, 17 and 18, I think, or 16 and 17. What? Even Forget about Donald Trump being president. Forget about all the gold towers. Forget about the bullshit. And forget about the loopholes and the, the ability for rich people to subvert and evade and avoid tax. On what grounds, on what planet, on what parallel universe should someone like Donald Trump be able to look people in the eye and say, I only paid 750 bucks last year in tax? I mean, it's breathtaking. No matter what comes out about Donald Trump, that there's this polarised divide and there's this base camp that will just 
no matter what he does, if they say he murders puppies by night and toddlers by morning, they'll got to go, yeah, fuck liberals. Liberals get upset. Wow, wow, wow. Tough tits. What people aren't getting when they're trying to figure out how these people can support him, no matter what, what you aren't getting is they don't fucking care. All they want to do is to shove it and stick it to the liberals. And I, so, so I kind of, that's kind of ringing in my head all the time because at this point, what the fuck else can he say or do? But yet I was watching the stuff come out about his, his tax and I went, sure what's new I mean like he, he can do anything and it's untouchable and then I kind of went is it though isn't it kind of somewhat perverse that this could be the thing that really fucks him over that greed is more important than locking children in cages and all the plethora of other horrible things about him and, and his behaviour and his lack of ethics greed would be the thing they go oh no that's just that's just intolerable but at the same time I think I don't care what works if that works there are an awful lot of people who are at the lower end of the socioeconomic divide that support him, if they kind of have to stomach, you can stick it to libtards all you like, but you're breaking your whole work and two jobs and you're still shit poor and your man of the people is literally pissing himself laughing in your face. He is taking the piss. So enjoy. Slightly more than two emergency COVID payments weekly is what he paid in tax. So... Again, he's denying it. He's saying he's he's saying it's it's fake news. Blah blah blah. The reason it's important is he appears to be in the hole personally for four hundred and seventy million dollars worth of debt that he owes to somebody, and we don't know who it is. Now, if that, for example, is Putin or an oligarch in Russia or uh, someone in Israel or whatever, if the head of a, any state, any democracy, is owing money in vast quantities that needs to be repaid to to outside, I'm not going to call them enemies of the state, but people with other vested interests. It could mm. be the cigarette boys. It could be the oil companies. It could be anybody. And we don't know who it is. You are immediately compromised as, yeah. a, as, a, as, a, as a country. Absolutely. I mean, like, if this was Obama, I know not everybody loved Obama, but, like, Obama generally was respected. Like, if this came out about Obama, everyone would kind of go, shit, if you are in that much debt... Unfortunately, you are completely compromised. You are for sale. Yeah. Like, that's, it's a problem. And that's before you take into account Donald Trump's general behavior. And bits of the jigsaw start fitting into place. The Russia thing, just the way he behaves on, on, on oil and, and, and climate and stuff like that. That there's, you don't know what lobbying group has power over the guy. And of course, the guys say, oh, no one has. I'm, I'm the president. I mean, the, 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 the big issue here is everyone needs to just, in America, stand clear of Republican versus Democrat. I get the tribalism. I get the fact that you've been Republican all your life or you've been Democrat all your life and you row in and you stick to the party colours and you don't cross the floor. You have a guy here who's basically saying, everything you hear about me in the media is lies. People are out to get me. I'm a decent man. I'm a kind man. Some people are going around saying he's here to save the world. You know, one of my former guests, for example. He's breaking the system. He's crashing, draining the swamp. Done more for blacks and Hispanics in the country. And he just fills the void with bullshit and lies. And, you know, the tax thing is just another in a long line of grab them by the pussies and misogyny and all that stuff. And then say, let's take someone like George Bush, you know, who was a bit of a dope, right? And no one really like George Bush, but like, God, you, you, you give your arm for George Bush to be in power over this guy. Yeah. And, never and then people that. will go, well, no, because George Bush was, was a puppet and he was, he was being run by behind the scenes machinations of the, yeah, okay. He wasn't being a puppet of uh, Vladimir Putin or whoever the hell is, is pulling Trump's, because somebody is. Um, I mean, I think you see the stage of the world. Now you see all this going on and, there's this constant, particularly on the internet, this constant over and back and this blame game and this just incredible tribalism. But at a certain point you go, look, a president is only for four years. So even if you're completely Republican and, you know, you don't like Joe Biden, I just sit there and I kind of go, let's replay the last four years. Let's look at the country before now and let's look at the country now. How do you think you're getting on? Do you think you're getting on well? So before you go, yeah, but it's the liberals' fault. It's just this. This is Trump's America. You should be terrified. Look around you. There's riots and you can go, that's the left's fault. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. This is on his watch. This is Trump's America. He's not had four years to do this. Mm. And look at the fucking state of the place. I would be scared if I was in America, regardless of what your views are. You might have Biden in now and go, well, I want him out and I want a strong Republican in next. That's only four years, but you've got a maniac in now and the country is fucking on fire. 
There's a horse loose in the hospital. Yeah. Here's how I try to look at it, and this is just me. This guy being the president, it's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. It's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. I think eventually everything's going to be okay, but I have no idea what's going to happen next. And neither do any of you, and neither do your parents, because there's a horse loose in the hospital. It's never happened before. No one knows what the horse is going to do next, least of all the horse. He's never been in a hospital before. He's as confused as you are. There's no experts. They try to find experts on the news. They're like, we're joined now by a man that once saw a bird in the airport. It's like, get out of here with that shit. We've all seen a bird in the airport. This is a horse loose in a hospital. When a horse is loose in a hospital, you gotta stay updated. So all day long you walk around, oh, what the horse do, what the horse do. The updates, they're not always bad. Sometimes they're just odd. Be like, the horse used the elevator. I didn't know he knew how to do that. The creepiest days are when you don't hear from the horse at all. You're down in the operating room like, hey, has anyone, uh... Has anyone heard... Those are those quiet days when people are like, it looks like the horse has finally calmed down. And then 10 seconds later, the horse is like, I'm gonna run towards the baby incubators and smash him with my hooves. I got nice hooves and a long tail on the horse. And it's like, oh, that's what I thought you'd say, you dumb fucking horse. And then, then, then you go to brunch with people and they're like, there shouldn't be a horse in the hospital, and it's like, we're well past that. And then other people are like, well, if there's gonna be a horse in the hospital, I'm gonna say the N-word on TV, and it's like, those don't match up at all. And then for a second, it seemed like maybe we could survive the horse. And then 5,000 miles away, a hippo was like, I have a nuclear bomb, and I'm gonna blow up the hospital. And before we could say anything, the horse was like, if you even fucking look at the hospital, I will stomp you to death with my hooves. I dare you to do it. I want, I want you to do it. I want you to do it so I can stomp you with my hooves. I'm so fucking crazy. And he's like, you think you're fucking crazy. I'm a fucking hippopotamus. I live in a fucking lake of mud. I'm fucking crazy. And all of us are like, okay, 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 okay. Like poor Andy Cohen at those goddamn reunions. Okay, 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 okay. And then for a second, we were like, maybe the horse catcher will catch the horse. And then the horse is like, I have fired the horse catcher. can do that? That shouldn't be allowed no matter who the horse is. I don't remember that in Hamilton. <laughs> Sometimes, if you make fun of the horse, people will get upset. These are the people that open the door for the horse. And I don't, I don't judge anyone, but sometimes I ask people, I go, hey, how come you open the door for the horse? And they go, well, the hospital was inefficient. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they go, you know, if you're so mad at the horse, how come you weren't mad when the last guy did this three and a half years ago? You're beating up on the horse for that when the last guy essentially did the same thing five years ago. It's like, first off, get out of here with your facts, okay? You're like the kid at the sleepover who after midnight is like, it's tomorrow now. Get the fuck out of here with your technicalities. Just because you're accurate does not mean you're interesting. That was fun when we watched Beetlejuice tonight. Don't you mean last night? It's after midnight. Like, why don't you get your sleeping bag and get out of my house? Take your EpiPen. Take your goddamn EpiPen and get out of my house.
But when people say, how come you were never mad at the last guy? I say, because I wasn't paying attention. I used to pay less attention before it was a horse. Also, I thought the last guy was pretty smart and he seemed good at his job. And I'm lazy by nature. I'm lazy by nature too. So I don't check up on people when they seem okay at their job. You may think that's an ignorant answer, but it's not, it's a great answer. If you left your baby with your mother tonight, you're not gonna race home and check the nanny cam. But if you leave your baby with Gary Busey, Again. That was John Mulaney's great horse sleeps in the hospital um, bit, but yeah, I, I yeah, I, I mean, the, and the other thing I, do, I want you to tackle for me is tell me why a woman in America would proudly walk into a voting booth or mail in a ballot with an X beside Donald Trump's name. Couple of reasons. The number one reason I would say is because she's a fucking pick me. <laughs> Explain. Right. For those not familiar with the term pick me, just think about it. It's women that go, ooh, pick me, pick me. So it starts with things like, I'm not like other girls. And you know when a man goes, oh, you're so cool. You're not, it's not like other girls. You're so cool. And then you say, oh, thanks. And you try and play that up. What they're saying is, I have so little regard for your entire gender that I'm trying to compliment you by telling you you're nothing like that weak species from which you come. Now go and make me a sandwich. There's a good girl. So like, back on and make us a exactly. So there's this, there's this pick me thing and it can be very common in teenagers and younger girls and like people go through phases and they grow out of it and they kind of go, oh, it was a bit of a pick me and throwing other women under the bus and going, oh, she's girly and I don't want to be seen. I want to be, I want men and boys to tell me, aren't you great? Aren't you clever? And pat me on the head so I feel respected. But when actually they're taking the piss, they don't respect you if they if they disrespect your entire gender. And I think that carries on to politics. And there are certain women who, and I, and I see this with the anti-vax shit, all that kind of waffle as well. Like you're not intelligent enough or educated enough to hold your own in any reasonable sense. You can't put yourself forward for office. You'd be laughed out of it. But when you sit around the table with the men's or with the hillbillies going, yay, Trump, women for Trump, everyone goes, oh, look, a woman's going to stand up. Cool, cool. Here, here, here's a prize ribbon. Aren't you great? And I think that there's an elevated status rather than being sneered at and laughed at because you're uneducated. And uneducated, not just in terms of qualifications but in terms of you having a fucking notion what's going on i think sometimes people like getting the little prize medal and being told what a great girl they are and and that can it can apply to men as well but i think there is a huge well, thing women, about women are, women, uh, are extremely belligerent when it comes many women when it comes to protecting families and when it comes to you know me too when it comes to abuse and and uh, but not all assault women. no i know not all hashtag not all women but you know, you have a guy who is, he may not be on the same island as Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein, but he's on an adjoining island with a yeah. bridge over to it if he wants to take that bridge. Clearly. I mean, he said it yeah. out so, of his own mouth. To that point, I, I know what you're getting at. And that Married would be, to three me, times. To me, this would be the second issue, right? So if you have the, if you have the pyramid of power or privilege, and I know people don't like that word, but if you, it's, it, this is, this is something that's, that's long since established. You've got the pyramid. So you've got the top 2% at the very top. Probably men, probably white. Beneath that, you've got men who aren't quite as wealthy, but they're doing well. And at a certain point below that comes women who are white and who are married to a wealthy white man. And then below that, you've got black men who aren't wealthy. And then at the very bottom, black women, women of colour. So the thing is, in terms of patriarchy, for example, the gatekeepers are not men. The gatekeepers are women who shit on other women and and vote Trump, all that kind of thing. And then you ask, why would women do that? Why would women be anti-Me Too, doubt other women, say horrible things about other women when they're assaulted? And there are lots of women who do that. There are lots of women who are absolute pick and who have abhorrent views. And you kind of go, are you a woman? Are you raising a daughter? Can you? Are you actually treating women's issues like that? And you'd say, well, why are they doing that? Because they are afforded a certain level of privilege. And even though it's wrong and they're women and any woman should know, even if you haven't been assaulted yourself, like there are certain things you don't say. And whatever about men holding that opinion, it's disgraceful as a woman 
just to say some of the disgusting things that women do say about other women who are assaulted or how women dress. There are some horribly, this horrible internalised misogyny. And I say a lot of that comes from if you've been afforded a certain level of privilege because of patriarchy, maybe because you're married to a powerful man, maybe because you're white and wealthy, the power structure is working for you. You're not at the top, but you're comfortable. So you're going to be a gatekeeper for other people. And it's selfishness. And I think there's another factor, which is women tend to pretend that they're making their own minds up, but they tend to row in with their husbands yes. back to Amy, Amy Barrett. You know, there's a, yeah. you see people going, you see women on Vox Pops, Republican MAGA women, parroting what their husbands are oh, You can are always saying. tell when so what they're... I mean, you, you see it everywhere. I mean, you see it in Ireland. You can always tell a woman who's been listening to her fucking husband for too much. Like, you can be at the school gates and something come up about the government, and it's just the way that something's said. You go... That's not how she speaks. That's not how she puts words together. But you know what it sounds like? It sounds exactly like a man in his late 30s that stands around comparing decking and talking about barbecues. I'd say she's just sat there listening to her dickhead husband. And you can you can literally always fucking tell. You can nearly see a man's face come across a woman's face when they start parroting their husband's stuff. And they sit there proud as punch going, yeah, I know, I know. And you're going, no, you don't. You just sit every dinner, every dinner time listening to your idiot husband who sits there reading QAnon. And suddenly thinks he's educated. I mean, there were two friends of mine, you remember, during the uh, repeal the 8th uh, on abortion here in Ireland who sought me out to have a chat about it. They knew I was pro-choice and both of them would have been very Christian guys, Catholic guys who were uh, probably pro-life. And one of them met me uh, in, a, in a pub and we had a few, the back when you were able to have pints in pubs. And we spoke for about two hours and he was very, he was really earnest about finding out my point of view. He was undecided he what it was conflicting with his with his religion. His wife was extremely Catholic, extremely religious, and at the end of our two hours, he was going to we walked back to the train, and he said, "You've convinced me. I'm going to vote yes." Just for context, yes, yes, being for voting for choice. Yeah, voting for choice, changing the rules in Ireland as regards abortion. And I said to him, "You know what you need to do here is you need to go home to your wife and you need to vote, whatever way she feels you should vote." You idiot. And well, I think that's the fair way of doing this. Another friend of mine, he was just this Victorian, I know this is right. I'll pay money if one of my daughters, I'll give them a hundred thousand bucks if they get pregnant and I'll make sure she doesn't ha- have an abortion. Absolute obsi- obscenity. And I know his wife. On that was one, a, I have to point out because I took part in that conversation and at a push, that person did say, well, he'd do everything he could to, if one of his daughters fell pregnant too early or whatever, everything he could to support her to try and talk her out of having an abortion. But when pushed and when pressed, he said he would allow and pay for her to have an abortion if he couldn't stop her. So what you're, what he was doing was voting for poor people not to have that choice. But at a push, well, he might not like that choice, but he would pay for her choice. Yeah, and that guy, you know, is, is Mr. I go on holidays during COVID and, you know, he, he just, just ignorant, arrogant, as I hate you, I hate using the word privilege, I think it's lost its meaning, but, you know, he's that guy. And I, I, I just think that when we have an election coming up in 32 or three days in America, that's going, and the reason we're doing this is because it is, we're not meddling in American business. This is global business. This yeah. is humanity business. This is a guy who's unhinged who can destroy civilization and the planet while he's at it and might do so just for his own kicks and for his own narcissism. And I come back to the point that if you were an American woman listening to this, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. If you're voting for Donald Trump, you should hang your head in shame and you don't deserve to be called a woman. You do not deserve to be called a woman because this man is everything women have been campaigning against in terms of how men behave around women and towards women. And I'm just staggered. I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you're Mexican, black, white, Catholic, Protestant, and Muslim. If you're a woman and you're voting for Donald Trump, you need to hang your head in shame. Yeah, I mean, I, but I have to, I have to, I would further that and say, if you're a man and you're voting for Donald Trump, you'd have to have Fine. to hang your head. I can understand, I understand why you. loads of men vote oh, for Trump. I can Donald understand Trump why women you know what? Loads of men want to continue subjecting women like this and mm-hmm. they will vote for him for that reason. But understand, Most of men are greedy lo- pigs. lots of women also want that. Yeah, but the point... And that's the yeah. point. And it's still, it's still a moral situation where it's wrong. And I think... If not all, nearly all people who are Trump supporters, even if they're out there with their MAGA hats full on, deep down, they know it's wrong. 
They know he is not a good man. They know that what's happening is it, it's not good. It's not Christian. It's not moral. It's not ethical. They know this is wrong. So at a certain point you go, I know that you're part of your tribe and everything has gotten so polarized and it's so throwing mud at the other side and that this, this sense of belonging to the, the tribe that you belong to and that thrives on hatred and, and deriding the other side. But at a certain point you go, how much is that worth it? In four years' time, you can elect another Republican who is more conservative in terms of your values. But this is not okay. This is a maniac and he's a bad man. And I don't honestly believe. I think you, there are lots of people that would never admit and they will fight and fight and fight. But if they, if you, deep down, they know full well he's an absolute bastard. Mm. And it's not okay. And so we come to what happened earlier this morning. Shit show being the best way to describe it. A dumpster truck fire was used. The first debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. We hope to cover the rest of them during the month of October on the two podcasts that we have to come before the election. Uh, I was watching it live. The Don picked it up this morning um, when she woke up. But it is. it was proof, if any more proof was needed, that there is no fake news. There is no agenda to uh, belittle Donald Trump more than he belittles himself and shows himself to be the extremely disgusting human being that he is. I don't know where to start. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I, I, I had to sleep. So, and then I woke up and I was speaking to you in the immediate aftermath and then I, I watched it like three hours later. So I kind of saw people's reaction and like heard your reaction and yeah, it was it was dreadful. I, I'll be honest, it wasn't any worse, nor was it even quite as bad as I expected it to be. <laughs> and that's not, it was terrible. It was awful. Well, you had a moderator from Fox News who I thought just from the get-go didn't have any sense of control over the two guys. He need, then There needed to be a, there needs to be in the next debate a switch off the mic yeah. uh, operation where the moderator is able to turn off Donald Trump's, mainly Donald Trump, uh, who was doing most of the belligerent interrupting and let the other person speak and you get your mic switched off and the, like he, he just probably the worst thing uh, was this he's president of the United States it's on his watch and with regard to more divided the nation can't stay divided we can't be this way and speaking of my son the way you talk about the military the way you talk about them being losers and being and, 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 and just being suckers. My son was in Iraq. He spent a year there. He got the, he got the Bronze Star. He got the Conspicuous Service Medal. He was not a loser. He was a patriot. And the people left behind okay. there were heroes. Really? And I resent Are you talking like about Hunter? Hell. Are you talking about I'm Hunter? I'm talking about my son, Bo Biden. You're talking I don't about know. I don't know Bo. I know Hunter. Yeah, Hunter, you know got thrown, Hunter got thrown out of the military. He was thrown out, dishonorably discharged. That's not true. For it wasn't cocaine use, and he didn't have a job until you became vice president. Once you None became of that vice president, true. he made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. He my made son, a fortune, gentlemen, my son, and he didn't have a job. My son, like a lot of people, like a lot of people we know at home, had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's, he's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. But why was he given tens of millions of dollars? All right, but he wasn't given tens of millions of dollars. That is totally, that's been totally discredited. That's, I don't know, you know, you're trying to pick a president. And I just ask what was presidential about picking on your opponent who lost a son who, by all accounts, was pretty well decorated in the military and going after his other son, who's had a few problems in his life. I mean, in many cases, I hope anyone who's got a heart and anyone who's got a, a sense of civility and humanity about them can just look at that and understand how disgusting the guy is. Yeah, no, I, I think it was appalling. I, I think the other shining moment was I mean he couldn't he couldn't denounce white supremacy he was given lots of opportunities and when pushed in reference to the Proud Boys well let's have a listen 
the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you, look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and right white supremacists and right-proud Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. That exchange immediately picked up by the Proud Boys, posting this logo to social media with the president's words, stand back, stand by. Getting instructions from the president on a nationally televised platform is a dream of groups like the Proud Boys. The far-right group, a self-described pro-Western fraternal organization for men, has been tied to several violent incidents at recent protests, classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center and suspended by Facebook and Twitter. One Proud Boys organizer saying that the president basically said to go F them up. Biden responding, this, this is Donald Trump's America. Donald Trump Jr. overnight defending his father. What does he mean by stand by? What is that? I don't know what stand by. He said to stand down. He said he's more than happy to condemn and him. He said I know stand he by. condemned that. And I, I don't know if that was a miss, you know, a misspeak, but he was talking about having them stand down. He's more than happy to condemn that. It's not the first time the president has come under fire for his comments about white supremacists, saying this after the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally, where hundreds of right-wing groups and militias marched through Charlottesville, Virginia. You had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. I mean, stand by. It's not just not denouncing the Proud Boys and white supremacy in general. It's literally speaking to them as though they are your personal army. Stand by because we're going to need... Oh! <laughs> like... Yeah, and again, taking the taking the partisanship of Republican and Democrat away from this whole... Because I really... You know, I thought George H. Bush was a grand president. I thought Reagan, apart from the fact that he absolutely fucked the world, I don't think he was attending to... By, by crushing the unions and all that. But, you well, know. Reagan was an idiot that copied everything mm, Margaret Thatcher did. Well, the two of them, there was a pair of them in it. But, you know, I don't care about, I, do, I care about the person. I care about the, the fact that the, this very powerful, very well armed, very young, and very innovative country needs to be a shining light of humanity and needs to be the best example or amongst the best examples of what we can be as a species. And you have this guy here. And, you know, that clip that you just picked out suggests that there are huge numbers of Americans who are okay with that, who are okay with their president hinting at the fact that there are vigilantes out there who are white, who are prepared to start. What he's talking about there is a civil war. I mean, he wasn't even hinting at it. But he was hinting I mean, you, at it. I mean, you talk about dog whistle. Like, that that goes beyond dog whistle. Mm. <laughs> that's, no, he, he didn't, he, that's terrifying. It's, it's, it's honestly terrifying, regardless of what your private politics are. Uh, that's just... That's terrifying. And, I mean, I'm not saying that America was perfect. I mean, there, there were a lot of problems. But, first of all, it's a very large country and it's a lot of people, so I do care when you watch the state it's falling into. But also it has a massive impact on the rest of the world. So that, I mean, as you said earlier on, it's not just us shoving our oar in because we're interested and we would be interested. But it has a massive impact economically. It affects the rest of the world. In terms of war, it affects the rest of the world. It has a massive impact, even just in terms of technology, social media, all of those things. So when massive movements happen there, when right-wing extremism is is encouraged and you've got the white supremacy, that leaks all over the internet and it's organised. Like, everything that happens in America leaks around the world. So, yes, number one, I actually do care that there are good people living there and I hate what's becoming of this massive country and lots of people. It's awful. It's heartbreaking to watch. It's a, it's a huge part of the world. But also, it has a massive fucking knock-on effect in every way on the rest of the world. The last thing just is, 
is this fake news thing. The amount of people who are clearly listening. And I mean, I spent the summer really trying to get a handle on people like Sean Hannity, listening to their two-hour show, listening to what the other side was saying. And I can see why people side with Trump when you hear his show. The Sean Hannity show, and I use that, you know, as a sort of a, a catch-all for, for the sort of Fox News network. It's like you're living on a different planet. It's like Donald Trump is the saviour of the world who's been, who's, who's been brought yeah. in. And, you know, I needed to understand, was I being sold a pup by BBC, CNN, the failing New York Times, the Washington Post... Am I reading equally bad propaganda from the left? Now, in clearly I am a little bit because you rarely hear a Rachel Maddow uh, or a CNN, uh, Anderson Cooper, uh, talk about good things that Donald Trump has done. And I'm sure he has done some good things. I mean... But the issue is, what is the agenda here? What is the agenda of CNN... Hmm and MSNBC, and the New York Times. I mean, I you know, I lived in America for nine years or eight years. I read the New York Times every Saturday religiously. The, I want to know from the right what the agenda is. The best answer I get is socialism, okay? That's not what's happening here. Socialism does not equal trying to spread the most innovative thinking, trying to highlight people who are being mistreated, trying to un- get under the skin of racism, trying to show up misogyny, whatever. Then look at the, the right-wing media under Rupert Murdoch. What is their agenda? Yeah. And their agenda is power yeah. and, and greed and protect, protecting and not spending on the vulnerable. And not, now, that's not socialism versus capitalism. Because the other media that are being called fake media have journalists who wake up in the morning and go to work. And, and, you know, I'm sure there is some editorial control over what they can and can't say. It has to be. But the other thing, and I, anyone who's listening to this, go on to Sean Hannity this week. Try and get through a whole show. It's practically impossible because of what he's, he should be. I mean, I can't believe he... Donald Trump said last week he should get an, um, a Pulitzer Prize, by the way. Christ. So he's, he's, he's sprouting this fake news thing and people are bringing it up. You know, a recent, a friend of mine last week on Facebook said, you know, I am filled with hate and ignorance when it comes to Donald Trump. Ignorance of his policy. That's what she said to me. Someone who I would say is bright. Now, I am filled with hate of Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. He, he doesn't have any policy that I can see, um, apart from maybe an insular one of, of, of circling the wagons around America, which might be fine. But she's obviously got this point of view, which I have to respect, from somewhere. And she's a bright woman. I don't know where she got it. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with the, the notion that like, we have so much information being chucked at us. And when you're, when you're trying to take a media source, you have to go, okay, what is their agenda? Because everybody has an agenda. And, you know, take what you want and leave the rest. Take everything with a pinch of salt. That becomes much more difficult when we have so much information coming at us. America is a lot worse. It's a lot more polarised. There's, there's literally no balance at all. And I would say with someone like Donald Trump, he's a fucking maniac. So it's not a huge amount to say positive about him. However, CNN, for example, is absolutely the Democrats. So there, there's there, there's no mediator. And what I find interesting is, and I saw that comment and I thought, found it absolutely hilarious, but I've often seen that thrown out there, but when people attack Donald Trump and Trump's America and all that's going on, because, you know, any ordinary person would say, Jesus, this is awful. I see, I find it interesting. I sometimes see, see people say, you know, it's all about hatred and it's not policy. And I think that's really important. But I think so many people are diving into this constant clickbait of, and this tribalism. And I don't think very many people are actually looking at policy. And I wouldn't claim to be an expert on US policy. But I am trying to look at the actual policy. And that's why I think, I mean, if I, I looked, what I came away from the debate thinking was, look, we can sit here and go, Biden's an asshole, Trump, 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 or vice versa. And we can, we can just dig right into our tribes. Or you look at it and go, okay, 
what's actually on the table here if we stop throwing stones at each other and have and, and picking teams if we if we leave the team aside some one of the only things that was actually being discussed was uh, Medicaid but I think if there's one thing we can do over the next couple of weeks it's to highlight a couple of issues of policy from outside of America and say here's how it works in this country here's how it works in that country because I mean you mentioned socialism and the first thing is it's it's almost like the red scare all over again say as soon as someone said socialism Americans lose their fucking shit mm. now Bernie Sanders it was referred to as far left and still is referred he's no more far left he's he's barely center left in the rest of the world yeah. because there's this massive problem with capitalism and I'm not saying that we can't have capitalism what I'm saying is there are other countries who are not communist countries where people are able to get really rich and where everybody gets to own their own home. Most people do. There are countries where you have all of this liberal freedom. You can own things. No one's going to come and take your money away from you. But there's actual, we have healthcare, we have education. And I, and I don't want to be arrogant about that because I think a lot of people do understand. But what's very, very clear when people lose their absolute shit, as soon as someone throws in the word socialist just to upset people, people lose their shit. I don't think an awful lot of people in the US understand what it's like to live in another country and what that actually looks like. Well, you bang some numbers on the, on the I do. issue. I so mean, I'm, put, before we finish, let's yeah, and I'm, I, I want to keep it brief. And but there's this idea that Biden wants he's going to take all, you're going to lose all your private medical. Look, that's not true. In a country where you've got free medical care for the poorer citizens, most people will still have private medical insurance. So in Ireland, for example, an awful lot of people have private medical insurance. 60% of them? Yeah. Anecdotally, I would say anybody who gets, most people who get paid by the month rather than by the week have it. So they're not necessarily very wealthy people, right? But in Ireland, we have such thing as a medical card. And anybody who's below a certain income threshold has a medical card. The medical card means that everything is free. It's all free. Your visits to the doctors are free. And medical card also, it's a way of means testing. So it applies for certain other things like fees for schools and exams. It's 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 generally used as catch-all for poverty. But then we also have GP card. So if you're not poor enough to qualify for a medical card, you might be poor enough to apply for a GP card. And that just means your family doctor. That's free. This applies to around the world. You've got this disappearing middle class where you're not poor enough to get benefits. Things are tight. And I think an awful lot of America that we need to actually appeal to are in that boat. So if you're that sort of person where you're not going to, in Ireland, if you're not going to qualify for free medical care, like I, I actually did the numbers this morning. I, I got a quote on VHI for a family of four for the year for kind of standard VHI. Changing it to dollars, it would have been $249 a month. And that's that's to have medical care. If you have that, then you still have to pay for your drugs. But in Ireland, it, like I mean, he was talking about insulin last night on the debate. In Ireland, the most anyone can ever have to pay for drugs is on the drugs payment scheme. There's a cap for 114 euro for a whole family. So you're talking that's probably like 130 dollars for a whole family. So if you're if if there's like two adults that are on every fucking type of insulin, heart medication, this that, it'll never go over that. Anybody over 70, free medical card. All children under 12, free GP visit card so that no child, will, their parents will be afraid to bring them to the doctor. If you don't have a free GP visit card, yeah, you're going to be paying 40 to 60 euro for a doctor's visit. Well, I mean, I, I started this podcast five years ago and I was in America and I decided I was going to spend a year traveling the world, where which is where I picked up a lot of the um, uh, initial podcast episodes, Sarajevo and place like that. And... I went to get medical insurance from the VHI and it was like something like 1200 bucks for me. Uh, and, they, and they actually said, oh, you're not going to America, are you? I said, well, I may be in America for a bit. Oh, oh then it's six grand. So it went, so all over the mm. world, yeah. Australia, Canada, everywhere, 1200 bucks, including America, six grand. And there's the problem because outsiders can look in and go, you have a big problem. If, if France, if I can go mm. to France and Canada and, and Bosnia Herzegovina and, and and Greece and Egypt and Oman and 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 Africa yeah. and China, but I don't go to your mm. country. Your country, it's it, 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 the golden rule is never mix capitalism with yeah. public health. This scaremongering that having socialized medicine, and I personally think, like I'm not at all. I can't. I'm not sitting here trumpeting for the HSE, the Health Services Executive. I think we need much more. We're, and, and we're working on that in Ireland. It needs to be much more socialised. I mean, I have the numbers for Sweden. And that's um, Sweden is very interesting. It's uh, more socialised. In Sweden, 88% of people will see a specialist in under 90 days. And if they can't, they'll be they'll be covered in terms of their travel to go elsewhere. They're not let... So they're, they're really 
constructive system. They are basically universal healthcare, um, although private exists. But under universal healthcare, uh, hospital stay is max uh, 100 krona a day. That's $11. Primary care, so you're talking like your family doctor, that kind of shit. Uh, max $33. Specialist on, or emergency service, max $44. And you will never pay more than $127 per year in consultant fees. And you'll never pay more than $258 in medication per year. That's worst case scenario. The idea that you'll lose your insurance is absolute horseshit. There's no doubt that the big outlier in guns and health insurance and health care is the United States of America. All right. Well, look, that was the first episode. Next uh, episode, we'll be back. We'll have had Pence and uh, Kamala Harris haven't had a pop at each other. And I'm not sure when the next uh, debate is, but I think we'll have that covered the next time as well. And maybe just to leave you with this to sum up, it's all fake news from the stupid fake news media. Trump is a hero, a war hero, a war president, and he's been sent to save us all, just like Abe Lincoln, honest and mean and fair, and everyone is just being so mean to him. And he's a tremendous businessman who pays millions, billions in taxes, and he does more for blacks and Hispanic communities than any other president. And he's also just like Martin Luther King Jr. And the coronavirus is a hoax, and it's going to go away. And USA, 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 and he's super religious. And he's a man of God and he loves women too. And he adores them actually. And he's draining the swamp and he's going to make America even greater again. And he's a true man of the people, super intelligent, da-da-da-da-da, blah 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 blah